credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. We are very excited to be going back out on the road in early February to Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco. That's right. February 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 2023, the future. We're going to be in those fabulous towns on stage for the first time in three years, Chuck. That's right. Tickets are on sale now. Go get them. Come see us. And you can get those tickets at linktree slash S-Y-S-K live. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash S-Y-S-K live. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. Jerry's here, too. Across the country, even. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive listening to stuff you should know. (laughs) Uh, Yes. And should we, can we start off with a little uh, shout out to our colleagues? Yes, for sure. Our, Our buddies at Stuff They Don't Want You to Know did something big, huh? They wrote a book like we did, and... We are very proud of these guys, our colleagues that we've known, our friends, for so long now. Mm-hmm. And what do they cover? They cover conspiracies, but not like, it, it, trust me, it's not like this big pro-conspiracy thing. No, no. They do a lot of um, ripping the lid off of the crack pots. <laughs> it's a, it's a good way to say line. it. Thank you. <laughs> well, what they do is they apply critical thought and critical thinking, which is one thing that's missing a lot when it comes to conspiracy theories. Right, exactly. Because they're all smart dudes and they're pretty down to earth. Um, and they have a great podcast and now they have a great book. And it's um, an eponymous book. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is the name of the book and the podcast. And I think it just published, Chuck. So that means that you can get it everywhere. I mean, everywhere. You can get it at like Eagle Eye Books in Atlanta. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can get it at um, the Corner Shop Amazon.com. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you can get it everywhere in between. Uh, the stuff they don't want you to know in hardcover because it just came out hot off the presses. As a matter of fact, when you pick up this book, you should probably be wearing oven mitts because it is that <laughs> new. That's right. I can't wait to get my own copy. Uh, if you're into history, if you're into reading about proven conspiracies and uh, not a bunch of gobbledygook, then highly recommend. I'm sure it's yeah. great. Can't wait. Go check it out. Um, so... We're talking today about fake cities, right? Yeah, like Rock Ridge. Rock Ridge. <laughs> Did you get <laughs> <What>? that? No. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, it's uh, Blazing Saddles. The name of the real town was Rock Ridge, but mm-hmm. they uh, at the end of Blazing Saddles, Cleavon Little comes up with a genius plan to build a fake Rock Ridge uh-huh. uh, for when the, the bad guys come in, and then they'll blow it up. So well, that's it's sort of kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah, I was going to say that that um, Mel Brooks like really did his research because there's a there's a lot of reality in that. People have done that kind of thing many times over the years. Many times, and some are cooler than others, for sure. I can't wait to talk about the Seattle thing. That's really cool, for sure. Well, which but, one's not cool? Let's start with that. <laughs> well, I don't know about not cool, but possibly not even didn't even really happen. Is in the 1700s there was a a uh, Russian, very famous Russian military leader named Grigory Potemkin, because he's mm-hmm. Russian. It's not Gregory. Right. It's Grigory with an I. Right. You don't see a lot of that anymore. Hey, Grig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I did have a friend in high school. Well, his last name was Grig, so all right. I take that back. Yeah, that's way different. Uh, but supposedly, as the story goes, uh, they built uh, under his guidance what were called um, – what was called a Potemkin village mm-hmm. in order to impress uh, Empress Catherine II as she came through town. And like, here, look at this great fake town that she would think is real. And then they would supposedly strike the set and then go build it downriver. And then she, she would see, and I guess, believe it was a different place. Mm-hmm. And like, look how great we're doing kind of thing. But then I believe after more digging, historians have said, I don't think they actually did that. It was probably more of a, let's get this place all cleaned up for her visit. And somehow history kind of changed that. Yeah, which is, I I mean, I buy that. He was one of Catherine the Great's favorites of the court. So um, it's possible that he would have gone to all that trouble to please her. Um, Regardless of whether it happened or not, Potemkin Village is now like a whole term for any kind of fake facade that's used generally as some sort of propaganda. The fact that it was kind of like Catherine the um, Great-centric kind of leads to that extension of government propaganda. And and there's a a very famous North Korean village that's frequently referred to as a, a Potemkin village, too. Yeah, the Peace Village. How are you going to pronounce that North Korean name? I'm going to pronounce it as such. Kijongdong. I think that's it. Uh, they also call it Propaganda Village. Well, they don't call it that, but other people call it that. <laughs> they don't. Um, but, you know, the famous DMZ there, the Demilitarized Zone, uh, you can, you know, you can see this very clean, lovely, uh, modern, prosperous area of North Korea right mm-hmm. there from the DMZ. But, you know, as far as people speculate, there's really, it's kind of just fake. There's nothing there. There's no people. There's no nothing. Yeah. yeah and if you look, like closely at it, there's no glass in the windows even. Like it's, as far as Potemkin villages go, it's a half-hearted effort if you ask me. <laughs> uh, the Nazis did this too in World War II uh, to, you know, uh, disgusting effect as well, right? Yeah, they, they did an altered version of it. They took a real village uh, and dressed it up in a way for that, that suited their propaganda needs. But <clears throat> there was a place called uh uh, I think it's Thershinstadt. That's how that I would say, say it, but okay. I might be wrong. So it was a it was a 
a depot, essentially. It was a, a sorting place for um, Jewish Germans and um, Jews from other countries that Germany had invaded. They were shipped to this place, and then they were sorted out and basically sent to different death camps around Germany. So, so many people passed through this that e even for the short time they were there, conditions were so bad that they would um, they would die while they were there. Plenty of people died. But the, 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 this thing was such a focal point. It was such a crux of this Nazi death machine that um, if it were, you know, revealed for what it actually was, the Nazis' plans would have been revealed to the world. So when the Red Cross said, we want to see this place, it, it, we want to make sure everybody's being cared for appropriately, um, the Nazis kind of started scrambling. They're like, give us two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny as I was going to say, give us three weeks. <laughs> you're you're way more aggressive on your schedule than I am. <laughs> you totally am. <laughs> That's very appropriate. Uh, yeah, you know, they cleaned it up. They brought in uh, apparently 1,200 rose bushes. They changed the hospital to a library. They changed uh, the gymnasium, or as you would say in Germany, gymnasium, mm. into uh, a, a, a place of prayer. For the Jewish people, they shipped out anyone who didn't look well, basically, right. and only people who looked healthy and were in good health remained. And, you know, they put a town square and made it look like a really lovely thing with swings and sandboxes and even a, a phony restaurant. Yeah. And uh, what I didn't see was how it worked. It worked perfectly. The The Red Cross came and were like, oh, this is delightful, and left, and then everything just got right back to business after that. So it served its purpose. Like, it fooled the Red Cross into going back and telling the rest of the world, like, no, the Nazis aren't running death camps. Come on, everybody, relax. They've got a restaurant and rose bushes. Right. So um, we know this only because of uh, post-World War II history. Right. Um, the, the thing that I saw that makes it just, just the— the ooey-gooey evil topping on this horrible Sunday is um, they build it to the rest of the world as a spa town yeah, that elderly German Jews could go live in uh, in peace and safely. Just when you think you've learned all the bad stuff the Nazis did. Yeah. Here comes another one. I'd never heard of this before. Not surprising, though. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate, Chuck, uh, I hate Nazis. I hate Nazis right. of today. I hate the Nazis back then. If you're a Nazi, I hate your guts. Yeah. I can't stand you. All right. you're, you're terrible. You're on record. I'm with you. I'm on record, too. So I, I feel like, Chuck, um, you can kind of swing the whole thing back around. It's not necessarily for propaganda, but um, there's, there's decoy cities that were essentially created to, um, well, the, to, to act as decoys during wartime, right? Yeah, and this was, I think this was the initial seed of the idea for this topic. Maybe, I don't think anyone said anything in, or maybe they did, but the more I started kind of poking around, I was like, wow, there's been a lot of times in history where, for one reason or another, a fake city was built. And once I started sort of unpeeling that onion, I was like, wow, there, there's been all kinds of fake cities. And decoy cities was a big part of it in World War II, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in Britain. What they did at first, it, it started out as uh, something called a Q-site, which is when they just said, hey, let's put up like a fake factory or something that will divert uh, uh, German bombs that way. And they'll waste some ordinances and they'll we'll get them off track and confuse them. And more importantly, they won't be bombing the real factories. Uh, and this was, I believe, the idea of someone named Colonel John Turner, 
mm-hmm. and they said, well, that bully to that, sir, that works so well. <laughs> okay. Why don't you go out and build seven fake cities? And he went, huh? And they <laughs> said, hey, it only has to look like a city from a guy throwing a bomb out of a plane. So you don't have to get too fancy. Yeah, that was like a stroke of genius when they figured out, like, yeah, you don't, you can just do like the rough edges of it because they remembered that they were hiding from bombardiers who were looking for cities that were uh, undergoing blackouts, so that you know, they there wasn't supposed to be much of the city visible at all. They would look right. for maybe somebody had left their door open accidentally, or someone had forgot to extinguish a streetlight, something like that. So they were able to just kind of make a few structures, put some scaffolding together, and then light it randomly here or there. Um, and all of a sudden, you had the impression of, of at least from, you know, 10,000 feet or however high up you are when you drop bombs on British cities, yeah. um, that it, it looked like there's your target right there. And it actually worked to great success. It really did work. And they ended up being, I believe the first site was called Starfish. And so they ended up calling them Starfish Cities just Uh from that first one. But initially they were called Special Fire Sites or Mm -hmm. SF Sites. And part of that had to do with the fact that after the bombing run would go through, they would go through and set little fires and set off little explosions on their little fake scaffolded city. Right. Uh, So, again, so the bombardier would look down and say – Ah, oh, we got him. Look at that. Look at that beautiful big fire down there. Yeah, and even more to the point, successive bombardiers that came the next night or whatever would be like, oh, that was the target. They hit it, and now that's where I'm going to drop my bombs too. Beautiful. Yeah, it really was. And here's the thing, though. You said they actually worked, uh, and I bailed on you, but I'm back with numbers. <laughs> they built 237 of these uh, starfish sites or starfish cities, and I think the estimates are they diverted about 700 bombing raids mm-hmm. and potentially saved uh, about 3,000 lives. Pretty great. Big success. So, um, as yeah, it was extraordinarily successful, but the British weren't the first um, to come up with this idea. And Cleavon Little wasn't even the first to come up with it. <laughs> no, he wasn't. It was ac- actually our friends um, Les Francais. Uh, in Paris, they decided in World War I that they were sufficiently concerned about German Zeppelin bombing raids, which has got to be the slowest, most yeah. just, you know, terrible bombing. Well, probably not terrible, but definitely the slowest bombing um, around. So they, they said, we need, to, we need to find a different site and build a replica of Paris. And the whole idea was to, like, really rebuild a replica of Paris with the Champs-Élysées and the Arc de Triomphe. And um, I, you don't, I don't know if they had plans for an Eiffel Tower. Surely they did. But um, they had it in three sections. And the first section they worked on was the industrial section. Mm-hmm. And eventually that, that came to be the only one that was completed. But it sounded like it was pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, they had – they were uh, – I would love to see pictures of this thing. Did you see pictures? Yeah. It's pretty cool. I mean, how, how to scale was it? It was giant, so they made it life-size. Oh, okay. But they used, you know, um, chintzy materials. Oh, sure, yeah. So they used, like, really kind of, you know, scaffolding, like a skeleton of a giant building, like that would serve as a um, like a, a fake industrial building. Mm-hmm. And then they would put some sort of, like, um, opaque canvas over it 
or an opaque covering of some sort, and then light it from inside. So to a bombardier, it looked like a glass ceilinged industrial right. um, building at night. Yeah. Uh, so they were doing stuff like that. They had um, they had like uh, little platforms that moved along that were carrying lamps. So it looked like trains moving uh, around the area. Uh, they did it to, to really great effect. Um, and apparently the only reason they didn't move on with the rest of the plan was because the French uh, military got good enough at um, shooting down Zeppelins right. that the Zeppelin attack stopped. The Germans were like, <laughs> you should probably figure out something faster than right. a Zeppelin to, to drop bombs from. Yeah, the French is like, why are we building these fake cities? Look how slow that thing is. <laughs> right. Somebody just shoot a flaming arrow that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can all just move to the left at our leisure and we'll all be all right. Uh, well, all of this, it's funny, um, Ed helped us out with this one, and he kind of started out with a section that we're not going to cover about, like, movie backlots. But mm-hmm. I'm sure all of this stuff, I mean, in World War II and beyond was influenced by the fact that they're like, oh, wait a minute, we're making movies now where we build fake cities right. to great effect. Like, it ain't that hard. Uh, right, exactly. I mean, it's just, I, I guess it's, it must just be one of those ideas that's out there where it's like, well, yeah. we need a, a new city, but we don't want to build a whole new city. So let's just build a part of a city just enough to kind of fool yeah. people from a it. distance. But yeah, the whole backlot thing, backlot thing is pretty, it's pretty, it's got its own interesting um, story itself the thing is is if you stop and think about it you're like oh they had a they had a fake barbershop there oh they had a fake right. um, victorian mansion there it's like it, if you really step back and think about it you're like who cares but for some reason there's something really engrossing about that kind of stuff oh i love it all right so that's a good setup there uh you ready to take a break i am chuck let's take a break right now all right and then we'll talk about seattle Stuff you should know. Josh and Chuck. Woo! Stuff you should know. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of Seattle, Chuck, we're going to be in Seattle. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to work a live show promo into this. Yeah, we're going to be in Seattle on February 1st at the Moore Theater. Yeah. This is 2023, That's not right. last February. No, no, no. And this is actually happening, too. This isn't something we forgot to edit out. Like, these right. shows are going on, <laughs> come hell or high water. That's right. We're going to Seattle to a real city. But uh, one of the cooler stories, I think, in this episode is – the fake city that Boeing built in 1944. Uh, this was um, Boeing was building B-17 bombers at what was called Plant Number Two, and that was a very dangerous place to work in mm-hmm. World War II, and uh, for obvious reasons. So they said, "All right, here's what we're going to do: instead of building, because what you typically do with like a decoy factory or Q site or whatever, is build something, you know, 15 miles away." Uh, and they said, why don't we just build, like, build something that looks like the real thing 15 miles away? They said, why don't we just shield our real thing by building an innocuous fake town on top of the factory? And that's exactly yeah, what they did. They did. Have you seen pictures of this? Oh, yeah. This is super cool. 
it's all about what it looks like from overhead. Mm-hmm. So again, they didn't need to build everything exactly life-size and exactly with great material. They built cars out of plywood and the grass was like dyed burlap and stuff like that. The trees were these weird kind of almost <laughs> surrealist approximation of trees. Yeah, they were cool. Um, so when you're walking among this stuff, you're like, that car is um, cut off in half lengthwise, or that house is like, all it is is like the top, you know, third in the roof. It's weird, but from overhead, it really did a good job disguising it. And they would send Boeing workers up there once in a while, like hang laundry or sunbathe right. <laughs> or walk along the sidewalks to just Smoke kind of break. give the impression. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, that is a really dangerous thing to have your employees do. Yeah. To like, hey, if you're going to take a smoke break, go up there. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> if, they're bar- if the building's going to get bombed, whether they're up there or in the building, well, I guess sure. it doesn't really matter. So it's no, no, that's more, a good point. no more dangerous than working inside anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah, they had, um, I think, kind of the more ingenious things because obviously they're seeing it built uh, from way, way high up where the, the bombers are. Mm-hmm. It couldn't look out of place like in relation to everything else around it. So right. they couldn't just like stick it down there in, in any old order. They had to align the street grid with generally what was going on around them. Right. Uh, and it's it's really cool. There's a cool website that has uh, a lot of really great pictures of like, and you know, it's the time too. So this like super cool lady in 1944, like standing at the street corner, they got a little cheeky with the street signs, uh, Burlap Boulevard and Synthetic Street. <laughs> yeah. So I think they ended up... Uh, Having a little fun with it, maybe? A little. <laughs> but who can I mean, blame some, somebody thought in the middle of World War II to put joke signs up at least. That's pretty great. <laughs> right. Um, also, Chuck, I, uh, I heard that those streets were so well lined up, you could get on in the middle of that fake suburb on top uh-huh. of the Boeing building and drive straight through all the way to Portland and then on to San Francisco, where we'll be on February 2nd and 3rd, 2023. <laughs> Very nice. So, um, yeah, that whole Boeing thing, luckily it never worked out. The whole reason that they did that was because they were on the West Coast in Seattle and they were worried about Japanese bombing raids. That never happened, um, obviously. I think Maybe because probably, of that. It's possible. I, I mean, know? I know that we in our book, I think on our chapter about kamikaze, mm-hmm. this is a really book-forward episode, isn't it? It is. Um, the Japanese actually, there was a battle in the United States, but it was in Alaska. So I don't think the Japanese ever came to the West Coast, did they? Well, no, I, I was just kind of kidding. Like, I think okay. they would have known if there was, you know, a bunch of planes circling overhead and they were just like, we just can't find where <laughs> right. Boeing is. It's working. Just keep smiling. Just keep pretending we're in a suburb. Uh, sometimes the project, uh, it seems like a lot of these, I think they're well-intended and they get off on the right foot mm-hmm. and then it ends up being scrapped for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Ed makes a great point. If you're the, the United States military and you want to build some big facility somewhere, you, you want to build it away from things, obviously, so it's a little more secretive. But you can't build it too far from stuff because you need workers and you need equipment and shipping and uh, construction and all the things that being close to things provide. So, uh, with the town of Apix, Florida, A P I X, mm-hmm. which we'll explain what that means in a minute. Uh, this was in Palm Beach County in the 1950s. 
uh, where they bought up 10 square miles in what was at the time kind of rural western Palm Beach. There weren't a lot of people <laughs> around then. Uh, because they wanted to build a factory. They were developing liquid hydrogen as uh, fuel. And they're like, let's develop this fuel. We'll build this factory and another place nearby, and we'll build a pipeline. Uh, and it just kind of never fully came to fruition, I think, because they realized it was too expensive to ship liquid hydrogen that way. Yeah, they figured out it was cheaper to just put them in refrigerated trucks and drive them. So they actually did create the liquefaction plant to produce the hydrogen for the rocket fuel, um, but they just never went on to do um, the the full project, which was build a, a worker's village to support the plant. And the whole idea was they were just going to say, this is a fertilizer plant, and this is a basically a you know a suburb a suburban town that sprouted up around the uh, the fertilizer plant, just filled with normal people. Nothing to see here. This is Apex, Florida. Welcome and goodbye. But what does Apex stand for? This is sort of the uh, the funny. I'm not sure why they did this, but go ahead. So it was actually a technical designation that that had to do with the project itself. Air Products Incorporated Experimental. So Apex, um, you just remove the E and replace it with the X. You got Apex, right? And Ed actually um, had a little editorial comment that I thought was pretty interesting. He was like, "I don't. Why would you possibly name the town?" Like a technical term from the very project yeah. you're working on, the super secret rocket fuel. And he uh-huh. said that his wife Meg pointed out that um, it actually worked pretty well or it could work well because if you heard people talking about Apex, you'd just assume they were talking about that town in Florida and maybe not consider searching much further into what was actually being discussed when they were actually talking about the rocket fuel. Go Meg. Yeah, I thought so too. I think it's the first time we've heard from Meg, right? I believe Officially. so. Yeah. All right. I love it. Uh, this It's interesting. This is kind of functioning as a top 10 in a way uh, because we move on to yet another uh, subtopic, which are paper towns. And I had never heard of this before. This is so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to talk to my buddy Rad, the cartographer uh, out in Montana, and see if he puts any uh, trap streets or copyright traps in his work. <laughs> trap Because <houses. laughs> They were initially called trap streets, and this is when a map maker, a cartographer, is drawing a map, and they even knew early on, they are like, hey, listen, anyone can just go out and print copies of these and then sell them. I did all the hard work, and right. now they're just going to sell these maps as their own. So they started putting trap streets, like made-up streets in there. It's sort of like the brown M&Ms in the Van Halen writer. So they would know if they saw a map with their trap street that there was copyright infringement. Man, what a great analogy you just made. The brown M&Ms. <laughs> yeah. It's the first thing I thought of. So um, there, the it, this one particular story centers on Aglo or Aglo. No one on the planet has any idea exactly how to pronounce it. <laughs> New York, uh, upstate New York in the Catskills. And uh, there was a, a firm that was basically two guys, from what I could tell, uh, in the 20s who were making maps. And they created that town, which is a um, an amalgamum. An amalgam? Amalgam, right. I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, of their of letters from their name. So Eglo, um, New York is just a it's one of those paper cities that didn't exist and it was meant as a copyright trap, like you were saying. But the the reason that Eglo, New York is probably the most famous uh, paper city is because it managed to fall 
um, backwards into reality. It went from a fake town on a map to a real town in upstate New York in a, a weird roundabout way. Yeah, but we should say town very much in quotation marks uh, because there was not a lot going on there. Uh, there are a couple of ways the story went down. And the one I saw that seems most reliable is kind of the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently there was a fishing lodge that was built after this map was drawn right. with a fake town name on it, the paper town. And they saw that it was near this place, so they just named it after it. They said, all right, that's the closest town. So this is now the Aglo Lodge Farms uh, Fishing Lodge. Mm-hmm. And the New York Times ended up reporting on it and said that uh, some of the first guests there, one of them was a, a map publishing firm, an official from a publishing firm, and said, the owner said, you should put this place on the map. Even though that was like a New York Times contemporaneous piece, Yeah, I don't know if that's super accurate. I think the other one's a little more accurate. It, not only is that questionable, it's, it's very confusing, too. Like, was it the is. map, was the map publishing executive one of the guys who created Aglo New York as the I trap? Is it, is it, did things really come that full circle? Was it somebody from Rand McNally who would later right. use that to their advantage? It's was very he on confusing. LSD? I've got a lot of questions about, was it a minotaur? Right. <laughs> but the second version um, is, really, it's not that much different. There's uh, a, somebody who decided to open a general store on the spot where that was marked Aglo. And the other thing about this, too, is the the fact that this town became real in a certain way means that there was the monumentally coincidental fact that they happened to have the the type of map that mm-hmm. had been created by that firm that made up Aglo. Because remember, no other map is going to have that town. It's a copyright town that just one firm's maps would show. So right. they happened to have that firm's maps to, when they decided to figure out where their general store was or their fishing lodge was. And so they, they named this general store the Aglo General Store. But the weird thing about it is where Ram McNally comes in in this story. Yeah, and I will, just in defense of that, I will say it was an Esso uh, gas station map. Okay. So I think those things were kind of everywhere. Oh, okay. Uh, so I like my interpretation. Yeah, but it, I'm just pointing out it wasn't some, like, weird obscure map. It was a it was a pretty heavily, uh, it was a map in the rotation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so they build this general store. Rand McNally comes along. They publish a map. Uh, a you know, seemingly using the other map because Aglo was on there mm-hmm. and they got sued, but they said, no, 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 no. You can't sue us. Like, this is a town now. I'm standing in front of the Aglo. They had a press conference in <laughs> front of the Aglo General Store. Mm-hmm. They didn't They didn't really, but they probably should have. And said, you know, this is a real place. And, uh, you know, they ended up winning that case because of that. And at various times over the years, Aglo is... Sometimes on maps, sometimes it's on Google Maps, sometimes it's not. Yeah. Uh, I think the fishing lodge is there, but it doesn't go by that anymore. And No, but it's there still. I mean, there is right. a fishing lodge there. But there is no, the building of the general store is there, but I, I don't think it's a general store anymore, right? I've seen both. I've seen that you can oh, really? find the general store still. Yeah, I've seen that the fishing lodge and the general store are there, which is kind of like putting both, both um, stories together. And I guess mm-hmm. they don't have to be mutually exclusive. No. I also saw mention that at its peak, um, 
a little mini town sprang up around either the general store or the oh, fishing really? lodge or both. Okay. That there was a gas station, uh, two houses. Um, there, there was a something happened. It cre- it came up out of the map. The map became reality. It's such a great story. And there's an author named Tom Green. He's a YA author. I've not heard heard of him or read his stuff, but he uh, he wrote a, a book called Paper Towns that, that where Aglo figures into it. So apparently, um, teens will show up once in a while and be like, "I'm an Aglo." So buy the stuff they don't want you to know. Book. That's buy right. The, buy the stuff you should know. Book. Sure. Buy Paper Towns. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. That's another book. It's another book. Buy Rand McNally uh, Atlas. If yep. you've only if here's my advice if you're a uh, a person of a certain age who has literally never used a real map in your life yeah. and only interacted with digital interfaces mm-hmm. buy it buy an atlas buy a road atlas it's kind of fun it's good to have around in case you know in case that it all goes down the tubes <laughs> sure and we're all feral wandering around the country I was uh, road tripping with Emily recently and kind of reminiscing about. Yeah, remember when you used to have to pull over on the side of the road mm-hmm. and get out the map and say, "Well, I think you can take this to this to this yeah, to get to that." Yeah, it was fun. It was a good sense of adventure that has now been ruined by technology. But also, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think that um, it made people smarter in some ways uh, um, than Back than then? today. Yeah. Again, I think we talked about, like, balancing your checkbook or something like that. You had to do that. Oh, no. It was keeping bowling scores by right. hand. That's right. It, it's, it's the same kind of thing, like having to stop and figure out where you are and where you're going and then how to get there on a map. So much different than, like, take a left in 180 feet. Um, and I'm not, like, I'm not mad about that. I use ways every time I no, drive we're not anywhere Luddites that I don't here. know where I'm going. Yeah. But there is there's a qualitative difference in yeah. the, the what your brain is doing when you're using Waze and when you are looking at a paper map and figuring it out yourself. Yeah. Like I like knowing where the best breakfast burrito is in the next town I'm going to. Sure. And the the old Rand McNally didn't show you that. Should we take I a didn't. break? <laughs> yeah, let's let's take a break. Oh, okay. You I'm answered go your own question. <laughs> Breakfast burrito. We'll finish up after this. Stuff you should know. Josh and Chuck. Woo! Stuff you should know. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, um, Chuck, one of the other reasons that people make fake towns is not to just um, act as decoys, but instead to use for testing, often weapons testing. Probably the most famous fake town that has been used to test weapons is in Nevada. The Nevada, is it Nevada or Nevada? Nevada. Nevada, you're right. The Nevada test site. Um, which in the 50s until the mid-60s, I believe, was where we set off, I think, 700-plus nuclear bombs. And we would often build little towns and be like, kaboom! Did you see what happened to that town? <laughs> and Let's they do would it say, again. yeah, I'm only a few miles from it. 
uh, because that's what happened with, I've, I've seen it called Survival Town. Mm-hmm. Probably the most famous one is the one where they actually shot a bunch of footage, mm-hmm. uh, the Apple II test site right. uh, in 1955, where they gathered 6,000 people to watch from six miles away. Uh, I believe the army was about two to three miles away. Mm-hmm. And they built, you know, they built a bunch of stuff. They built some houses, built some buildings. They had a a way station, some trailer parks, some cars, mm-hmm. uh, apparently a propane tank station. Uh, so they built a little bit of infrastructure. And this is the one, if you've uh, ever seen the very famous footage, and part of the reason they did this was to be able to show Americans, like, and scare them, say, here's what will happen to you, uh, of the you know, those mannequins dissolving into fiery blast right before your eyes. And by the way, call your senator and tell them you want American defense spending doubled. Yeah, basically. Uh, very well-known footage, but um, one of these houses, the, it's called the Bellin Building. It was manufactured by a company, Bellin Manufacturing, who did steel panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only 6,800 feet away, and it survived, very yeah. famously, the blast, and was a, a legit you know, tourist attraction for a long time. It, it may still be. Is it still there? Yes, still is. There's a couple of houses that are still there that survived. One was a two-story colonial or two-story something. Um, yeah, colonial with a brick fireplace and chimney on the outside. And a lot of it survived. The other was an all, all straight-up brick house, um, which yeah. I believe was the inspiration for the Commodore song Brick House. That's right. And the, the one of straw did not make it. <laughs> no. But if you looked inside those houses, they had, like, mannequins dressed up. Yeah. Some of them dressed to the nines, frankly. Um, they had, like, <laughs> frozen food, canned food, in some cases fresh food. They had stuff in refrigerators. They had, like— um, Indiana Jones. They had—oh, yeah, that's right. That was in uh, the third one, right? Yeah, fourth one, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah? What was the third one? The— Last the Crusade. Last Crusade, yeah. I don't know what's happening to my aging mind. That's okay. Um, but the, if you look to to see like the before and after, I have to say the mannequins fared pretty well. They got bounced around. They <laughs> definitely weren't standing up anymore afterward, but they weren't like vapor either. Right. They did so, just great. <laughs> the test worked. Our buddy uh, Van Nostren said he went to that site. Oh, really? It was one of the more amazing places he's been. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, sure. Japan did something kind of similar uh, with Project uh, Ichiban. And that this was post Hiroshima and Nagasaki when they're like, "Hey, we want to see like what radiation does to people and what radiation sickness might do." So they built a village that could actually be uh, moved around. It was built on wooden skids, so you could move this village around to different, uh, you know, and subject it to different levels of radiation right. to see what would happen. I think that was actually American built. They oh, simulated it? a Japanese village. Yeah, because they were like, whoa, a lot of people died of radiation sickness. We weren't expecting that. I guess so, because it was built on the Yucca Flat, and that ain't Japan. <laughs> it's uh, outside of Nagano. I know. Big big whiff by me. So, so um, there are other uh, cities that are built for testing not nearly as much uh, destructive stuff as like a nuclear bomb. And there's one at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, called M-City, and it's basically like a fake drive-around town. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, no, it's a fake... I don't think anybody knows what I'm saying. <laughs> Let me just re- rephrase that. It's like a, it's the it's like a um, it's like a town, a fake town that's really um, car centric. It's like Los Angeles, but in Ann Arbor. Right, but fully like it's it's only fake in the sense is that there are fake buildings and no one lives there. Like they really, because what they're doing is they're uh, it's all in partnership with. Uh, I believe initially Ford, but I don't know who all is involved now, mm-hmm. to test driverless cars. So they the streets have to be really real and the stoplights, like it has to really function as a real city right. if you want to really test driverless cars out. Yeah, so they even have like, you know, crash test dummies as pedestrians and stuff to make sure the things stop when they're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. And there's an app uh, where if you are testing at M City, you will have access to an app that lets you like control different conditions around the fake town. Um, yeah, it's a Truman Show. Yeah, I guess make, so. But on your rain. phone, you can use it on your phone. <laughs> I don't know if they can really make it rain. Although, I bet you they can. I'll bet they can at the very least make the streets wet. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's a road condition. I mean, right? That's legit. They're Making it has got to be harder. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that reminds me of something I went to when I grew up um, in Toledo called Safety City. Oh, I think oh I've heard God. about this. It's so amazing. You you take your big wheel um, uh-huh. and you go to Safety <laughs> City, which is a small miniature fake town uh-huh. with like intersections and a railroad crossing and traffic lights. And you learn like what all this stuff means. Like, what do you do at a yield sign? And you get to ride around on your big wheel like you're in a car uh, driving around town. It was one of the better experiences of my young life in Toledo. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's another one that seems really creepy uh, in every way, but it's uh, hasn't come to fruition, and it really isn't creepy. I think it's just the fact that it's called The Center, capital <laughs> T, capital C. Yeah. And it's this billion-dollar future fake city uh, that's they've been planning this thing out since 2012. Uh, it, it's um, Pegasus Global Holdings. That's also creepy sounding, for sure. although it's probably completely innocuous. Uh, and the Center for Innovation, again, capital T, C, and I, and Testing and Evaluation. So it's the Center for Innovation, Testing, and Evaluation. Sorry, C-I-T-E. Yeah. Uh, and what they're doing, it seems like, or what they want to do eventually it seems like there's all kinds of testing that could go on, but a lot of it has to do with energy savings and, you know, transporting energy, uh-huh. um, getting water from one place to another more safely. Uh, it just seems like transportation. It seems sort of like a catch-all of anything that you would want to use a city for without having to block off real streets and pay real money and suffer repercussions from real damage and stuff like that. But it does seem to have a real focus on sustainability. Like like some of the projects also include, um, like you could test um, low low loss transmission lines. Remember in, like, I can't remember what episode that, like, that is a huge problem with creating a renewable grid is there's so much energy loss over time. Like, you could test that. You could also test driverless cars. Um, and have you seen the diagram or the, the um, renderings of this city? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is. There's, like, a whole highway that comes into town just like a regular city. There's a rural area. There's suburbs. There's, like, a downtown area. It looks like it's going to be really great. And I could – whoever thought of building that, I think it's one of those if you build it, they will come kind of things. Yeah. But it sounds like they're having trouble convincing people about the second part. Right. I, I bet it'll happen at some point. I hope so. Yeah, and it's not creepy at all. It just it, it all of like 
All the capital letters really freaked me. <laughs> right. No, but that on top of the idea that if you went to this place, it would be like a Twilight Zone episode where there's yeah. no one there. You've got like a, a city and no one's in it. That's just so creepy. That's one of the reasons why this is so, this whole episode is me engrossed. There's just some creep factor that's lurking right under the surface. Yeah, it's a, it's the same creep factor from like an abandoned city almost. Mm-hmm. There's just something creepy about infrastructure with no one there. Yeah, so I just want to give a shout out one more um, for one more thing on Florida. We were talking about Apex, Florida, and it reminded me that down in Dade County, there's something called the, the Aerojet facility, mm-hmm. and it was a rocket testing site, a missile testing site, and there is a missile in an underground silo still there. It's obviously wow. not armed or anything, but there are some really cool uh, urban explorer pictures of this this missile usually from the top down, but somebody went and figured out how to get down to the bottom, so they're, like, standing at, at the base of this missile. Jeez. And it's towering over them. But it's it's in this weird overgrown area outside of Miami. It's really cool looking. Wow. So check it out on the internet. It's like the that bomb in Savannah in the ocean. They still haven't found that, right? No. No, but they know where this is. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, So the last kind of fake city has been used a bunch of times by the military and by, um, as we'll see later, uh, the modern police forces, a.k.a. the mini-military. But, you know, training centers, everyone from the FBI to the CIA to the Army has training centers all over the country where they have fake towns built, tactical villages um, you know, if you've ever seen like Jodie Foster walking through the, the CIA or was it FBI? She was FBI. FBI. Um, FBI training where, you know, the, the bad guys pop around the corner of a fake house. Like yeah. this, this is more along those lines, basically. Yeah, that was actually either set at or meant to be um, Hogan's Alley at Quantico. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she didn't look behind the door, remember? Didn't look behind the door. So, um, yeah, there's also Fort Polk in Louisiana used to have uh, a, a, like a Vietnamese village for training before shipping out to Vietnam in the 60s. Um, Fort Irwin in uh, Barstow, where the drugs kick in. They had an um, Afghani mm. village basically um, built uh, for the U.S. military to train at. Um, and then you mentioned the mini-military, today's police forces. Um, in the 60s, the U.S. built two different fake towns on military bases. I didn't see which. Um, but in the United States, there were two what were called riotsvilles, and that was like an informal term for them. And it was a place where local police officers or law enforcement could travel to these bases and be trained in violently suppressing protests um, in like a fake town that that simulated a real-world situation. Yeah, this is one I think we should do a full episode on. Okay. For sure. Uh, There's a new documentary out called Riotsville, USA, uh, that popped up, I believe, in just September of this year, 2022. Oh, it was this year? Oh, cool. I think so. It's pretty recent. And this Mm -hmm. actually may have been where I got the idea. I might have seen an article about this. But it's really interesting because then we can get into the Kerner Commission, which was Mm -hmm. uh, basically this – you know, in-depth study of history and data where they concluded that, hey, um, social welfare funding is is necessary in this country. Um, and it wasn't just as simple as like, hey, there's racism, so we need social welfare funding. It's 
hey, the way this country went and when everything happened with industrialization and where people live and where African-Americans were coming out of Jim Crow, like it all aligned in this terrible perfect storm, an imperfect storm mm-hmm. where uh, we need to help take care of people a little bit more. And this was all reversed. And uh, I believe it was the Johnson administration said, oh, actually what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to divert all the money we can toward making the United States military, or I'm sorry, police forces more like paramilitary forces right? and train them and, you know, standing down these riots where people are asking for, you know, basic human needs. <laughs> right, right. And as Ed points out, the fact that these two riots bills were built basically shows like, no, it's essentially the official policy of the United States to like suppress protests brutally often uh, rather than actually address like the the actual issues that are yeah. causing unrest in the first place so well, i Nixon agree came in you know i th- yeah i think that we should um we should do an episode on that too that's a great idea yeah i want to watch that doc cuz i think there's just a lot more to it than an addendum here at the end of this one for sure and if only riotsville usa the documentary had been a book instead that right. would have been the <laughs> ultimate button on this episode you know it would have uh i do want to mention a movie though uh joel schumacher uh made a movie called tigerland which was the name of the uh training place in in yeah in polk louisiana uh where it sort of simulated an asian jungle environment that was Colin Farrell in Tigerland. Really? Huh. Rated R. <laughs> Coming to a theater 10 years ago. Yeah, or more. Um, well, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Well, since Chuck evoked the name of Colin Farrell, that obviously means it's time for listener mail. All right, I'm going to call this uh, a little more detail on our vinyl stereo exclamation. Explanation. <laughs> and exclamation, I think. Okay. Uh, Dear Mr.'s Stuff, you said in your episode on vinyl that stereo records are created by cutting the left-right audio on the left-right side of the record groove. Uh, it's even more black magic-y than that. In old technology with shellac records, the mono information was engraved from side to side. With stereo, the mono information is engraved in the same way, and the side information is engraved up and down. Uh, This is then, I know, I mean, that's, I still, I mean, I can't even understand this. Uh, This is then turned into the left-right audio using a process called mid-side decoding, which is basically duplicating the mid information, phase inverting it, and then adding it together with the mid and other side information. Uh, If that blew your mind as much as it did me when I got it explained, uh, check out this article. And this is... uh, uh, just Google sound processing mid-side stereo, and that'll probably answer it. Uh, and that is from Marcus, who is also, by the way, not 100% satisfied with our description of compressed digital audio. Sorry, Marcus, but that is a really interesting email, and it was one of those things, like, every once in a while we'll hear something from somebody, and you just it almost, like, hurts in your guts that you didn't know that thing or you didn't know it to that degree you know what i'm saying like you almost want to go back and and correct it somehow yeah and we also should mention we got a few emails from other audiophile uh people who also said hey 
you guys kind of glossed over the digital audio compression because there's a bunch of codecs and ways of doing things. And uh, uh, we also got a not very nice email where someone was like, you guys are playing your stuff wrong. Why bother? <laughs> I didn't notice that one. But I mean, it's not like a uh, how digital compression works episode. It was about vinyl. Give us a break, everybody. Those were the people <laughs> I was talking about when I made the disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, and they didn't listen to me. Yeah. this I'll send you the email of the not nice guy. He basically said, Josh, you might as well give away your records to someone who can play them right. Okay, cool. <laughs> and they got on me, too, for the Bluetooth uh, aspect of my record playing. So... We're doing it wrong, but hey, we're living our best life and having a good time. Exactly. exactly. So, as, as my wife would say, well, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Okay. Uh, and that was from Marcus, right? That was from Marcus. Marcus was fairly kind about it. Cool. Thanks a lot, Marcus. Thanks for all the extra info. I mean, that's definitely something you can do to boost your chances of uh, being on Listener Mail is adding info that we just didn't know about in a nice way. Agreed. Um, and if you want to be like Marcus and send us some extra info we didn't know about in a nice way, you can send it in an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see... See what music does to people. 
it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.